Welcome to the DGR Podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Cool. Perfect. Hopefully I'll get it in, for, in the first take now, Ian. That's fine. We're a little bit, well, I'm a little bit nervous, Ian, because I haven't, uh, we can leave this in, in the podcast. <laughs> I, <laughs> I haven't had a sound technician here with us before. Oh, you're good. So, uh, yeah. hopefully we'll. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, hello everyone, David here. Welcome back to the DGR podcast. This is episode number 39, being recorded in New York City first in-person podcast i'm delighted to welcome amazing guest alina canner i think that's how you pronounce your last name yeah so we hired out a cool little studio here for for this episode today and um yeah it's cool it's very cool thank you for having me on your podcast i'm very excited to be here yeah do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself sure so i a little bit about me i'm from new york pretty much born and raised here was a gymnast growing up Kind of throughout understanding my body through gymnastics, I knew at a pretty young age that I wanted to work with people with their bodies, but I didn't exactly know what route that was going to be. I went to grad school at the University of Arkansas, which for a New Yorker is pretty wild to go all the way to Arkansas, but I loved it. I have no idea where anything in America is. Yeah, so it's like kind of on top. So there's Texas and Oklahoma and Arkansas is like on top. So it's in the pretty much middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Hikes are beautiful. So I went there and studied athletic training. So in Europe, I would be an athletic physio. Here, I'm a certified athletic trainer. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think athletic physio. It might be... They have athletic trainers now as well. Oh, okay. And then they have like sports sports physio. It might be more like it's sports it physio. Is. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be my cert in another country. Mm-hmm. So I did my master's in that. After that, I came back to New York, New York, and was here for about four years and mm-hmm. decided the city was way too much for my body. Mm-hmm. COVID happened, and I've been in Texas for the last year and a half. But now I'm here for the summer and have this awesome opportunity to do this podcast with you. So I've been studying PRI for the last, really, I started studying it in 2018, but more the last two years. Mm-hmm. But I always worked with the body, and here we are, just learning, and every day is a new day of new information. So. What's PRI? Oh, great question. So <laughs> well, I think we'll talk about we'll talk about like a lot about PRI today. Postural Restoration Institute. I'll leave you kind of. I've done a good bit of PRI stuff, and I have moved away from it a little bit, or probably a lot moved away from it, but not because I think like there's different weird things that people think about PRI and stuff mm-hmm. like that. When I say moved away from it, I think maybe like practically on a day-to-day basis moved away from it, but it still has helped me a ton in terms of the principles behind it and the just the lens at how I viewed the human body and movement and things like that. Like that has had a massive impact on me. And when I say I moved away from it, like I haven't followed their algorithms or their assessments or things like that. But I think that's where people get confused sometimes with PRI. It's like, okay, you're not necessarily doing the exact exercise from a PRI book or whatever, or the exact assessments. And then they think that PRI is a load of trash because, oh, I don't use it anymore. But then when you look at their program, it's like, oh, actually, I think the principles are here. So um, do you want to give us a little bit of an intro or not an intro, but like, I suppose in your experience, what, what PRI means to you or 
whatever, because I know it can be very complicated. Yeah, it's definitely complicated. Mm-hmm. And I think that it takes a while to really be able to understand it. And for like people learning it, people, we need to know that it's complicated. Mm-hmm. My turn, I agree with what you just said, by the way, about people using it and then kind of saying that they're moving away from it, but then they're still using it. Mm-hmm. PRI in my mind is ultimately the study of asymmetries of the body, the dominance, cortical dominance of the brain, and how we are from a psychological standpoint and what we do with our bodies and what side we prefer, and then how that relates to our lives, habits, patterns. And then each person is a bit of an individual, but underlying we're very similar. Mm -hmm. So understanding those asymmetries really lay a groundwork for understanding movement and understanding why we do things in life. So like I said, it's extremely complicated. I think that's a big, we we were talking earlier about misconceptions and we're going to talk about it more, but I think that's a really big misconception about movement in general is that people always want to simplify it. It's not simple. Mm -hmm. There's no way that our bodies are simple. It's supposed to be complicated. So when PRI goes very deep into many different topics, and I think it can be very difficult to learn. It's not for everybody, but when it comes to treatment and clients or patients that are struggling, some people are not going to get better with just some strength training. Some people are going to need that higher level of understanding why their brain slash body is doing these, you know, interesting, whatever their symptoms are. Mm -hmm. So I think that will, that kind of touches a little bit on that. I think one of the reasons maybe PRI has gotten a bit of flack, well, it's just because it's gotten more popular. Uh And so like, that's going to come along with it. The other reason is the name posture respiration restoration institute yeah posture is like a dirty word now so oh yeah that could have been but maybe ron doesn't care i don't know but yeah that's that's been an interesting one for me when you say we're dominant on one side can you just explain a little bit about that yeah sure so i just gave the game away away, (laughs) that's okay it doesn't matter we're gonna touch on it anyway your brain your left side of your brain controls the right side of your body and as we know, 90% about people are righties. People that are lefties are still going to have a cortical dominance to their right side. Our world is very righty. When you open a door, you're going to open it with your right hand. You're opening a microwave with your right hand. So our world in general, so the habits we form because of our environment are right-sided, how you're driving, etc. But we also inherently have human asymmetry because of the diaphragm on the right side being a lot larger and having a lower insertion point on the right side compared to the left. So it, it does different things to the right side of the body, pulling it into different positions. And then you have three lobes of lung on the right side, only two on the left. And then also on your right side, you have your liver, which is a, you know, a, on average, maybe like three pounds. So we're inherently heavier. The diaphragm's stronger. It's pumping 25,000 times a day, let's say, if you're an athlete. Mm-hmm. So we get this like lateralization to the right side. So even if you're a lefty, you're still organs are set up like this. So you're still having a lot of these inherent asymmetries that are happening. And there's really not a problem with asymmetries. The problem is not being asymmetrical. You actually need that to survive in life. The problem really comes down to not being able to manage your asymmetries, or if you've had head injury history or different things in your life, visual history, dental history, et cetera, that have maybe pulled you too much over to that right side where you have an inability to go back to your left side. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm doing is helping people that are struggling 
with teaching them a part of their brain that they've maybe lost in the process of living. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it comes down to just patterns, lifestyle. We do a ton of behavioral things and understanding your own self ultimately. Mm -hmm. um, I think, yeah. I think and a, a word that PRO use quite a lot is neutrality or mm -hmm. neutral. And again, that's another maybe dirty word these yes. days, but correct me now, like I'm not, I'm not very good at the PRI stuff, right? Yeah. So correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, what that word means to PRI is like your ability to move from one side to the other. Yeah. So get onto your left side and get onto your right side, not how well can you stay in the middle? So neutrality doesn't actually mean staying in neutral. Yeah. It means can you shift um, relatively evenly to both sides, even though you won't ever be even, no one will ever be even. So um, neutrality is a thing. And then just get so... And, and to me, then, again, when I try and simplify things in my mind, it's just like having the variability. If someone is like, OK, we know that, right, someone is biased towards their right side. That's that's not an issue. It's just a, it's just it's just a fact. It's it's the way things are. We need to be able to get over onto the left side. It's a, it's a, just about variability. It's, it might be as simple as being able to laterally flex your spine over to the left yeah. side gives your gives the right side muscles maybe a chance to relax, offload as we load onto our left side. So those are like, to me, those are simple concepts that not, not simple, but like simplified comp, com, concepts that do help me in my practice every day, actually knowing this stuff. Why do I always see like a more supinated foot on the right yeah. side? Even when it's, even when their both feet are, are very pronated, the right one is a little bit less so. So yeah. um, Ron has been, like they they aren't pri he didn't invent that stuff that's what some person kind of threw at me one day that like this is in the research and it's not a pri thing and i said that's fine but he helped me understand that how that applies to i suppose my clients so um i don't i don't know where i'm going with that but um i think that's that's a that's a fundamental concept of pri that has helped me quite a bit yeah i think what you just talked about is really important so ron basically He's the inventor, the creator of PRI. But what he's done is looked at all this research from years of different professions, dental research, eyes, vision. He's looked at feet. He's looked at, through osteopath information, doctor information, all this stuff of different publications. And he's like put it together because he became so obsessed with the asymmetries when he was in dental school and probably even prior. I, I mean, I asked him last week, like, how did you create this? And he was like, I don't even know. I couldn't even tell you. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, when you're assessing, this is why it's very useful information. Because as a trainer, as a massage therapist, whoever you are, if you're working with humans, working with the body, to just understand that the person is different right to left. And it could be drastic. It could, not, it could also not be so drastic. But if you're looking at feet and you notice over and over again, you're seeing the same sort of patterns. Oh, well, maybe there's something to that. There's something to this information. Whether or not you know what to do with it, just understanding and observing, that's mm -hmm. the first step. Mm -hmm. And that takes an eye. It takes a, a time to understand what you're seeing and what you're observing. But definitely just picking up on that is, is the first kind of step to it. And then um, other things you kind of just mentioned about just taking the the concepts of PRI, that, which are very complex, and even if you're just a trainer in this field, being able to see it and break it down, utilize it in different ways that you're always going to help the person in front of you. Yeah. 
you're not going to help the person in front of you if you treat the person as if they're one person instead of they're really two. They have a right and a left. Mm -hmm. So PRI definitely does some very interesting techniques. And I think that makes it stand out Mm -hmm. um, because we are reaching with different sides. We're moving jaws in different positions. We're doing funny things with eyeballs, all these different interests, especially when it gets to the cranial stuff. And I think that it takes time to understand why you're doing it. But if you do have that time to learn it, it can make a really big difference, especially if you're a clinician, mm-hmm. for yeah. sure. I think the like most simple thing that probably most people have learned or are used from it is like some of the breathing work. Yeah. Which the explanation what to as to why it might work is not very simple, but like mm-hmm. to do to do a little bit of breathing work with someone. I do it with most clients in in some way. Um, even if it's just like okay. Once a day, it'd be great if you lay down or sat yeah. down in a position and just slow down your breathing into the nose, perhaps out through the mouth. And depending then on like where they maybe need more expansion, you bias them or you put them into a certain position so yeah. it gets more chest wall or posterior or lateral or whatever. So like I've I have found that to be very valuable. And that's that's been that's been shown in the research, even in even in like a a mindset kind of a thing. Okay getting people to relax and, and breathe is going to be helpful. It's been studied for thousands of years and things like yoga and all of yeah, this stuff. So yeah, sure. so it's, it's, it's there. It's just that I think, I think PRI have tried to maybe dig deeper into the explanations as yeah. to why this stuff works and maybe be a little bit more targeted then with the exercise selection around it. Oh, totally. I know uh, in the occlusion course, there was information from acupuncturists. Like Ron has just taken information from all different types of, uh, like sex of uh, knowledge that work with the body, mm-hmm. different people. And yeah, yoga, breathing is really big. So a lot of what PRI ultimately is, is understanding that if you, if you bias yourself in a certain position, if you're automatically asymmetrical to one side, you can close off one side, uh, understand to get, let's say, for example, you need right chest wall expansion. If you give yourself left obliques, you're ultimately going to get right chest wall expansion if you're in the right position to do mm-hmm. so um and we see that a lot people need that a lot mm-hmm. um so you're giving somebody a little bit of what they need more of yeah. and that can make a really big difference to somebody who let's say lives in we're in manhattan right now mm-hmm. everybody in the city needs a little bit of parasympathetic this yeah. city is extremely sympathetic a, yeah. a lot of cities are yeah so when i see clients here in the city they usually leave a session and they're like oh i feel so relaxed yeah, because you're never breathing. You're never just calming down. And it's they could do it sitting at their work desk, but of course putting them in a position that is more beneficial to them, yeah. you know, could. A yeah. lot of it's psychology too. Yeah. You could do alternate nostril breathing, which is an acupuncture comes from I think uh years ago, different au- things like that. You could get somebody neutral with that. I did mm-hmm. it last week. Mm-hmm. And that's fascinating, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. What's the what do you think is the biggest test for for checking if someone is neutral? I kind of look at it in three parts. So I test the pelvis, the adduction drop test, which is really useful for knowing, okay, can the is the pelvis forward externally rotated on one or both sides? Mm-hmm. And if they cannot adduct or abduct, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not they're not able to bring their pelvis back mm-hmm. into more of a neutral position so neutral you're talking about it dirty word right but neutral is ultimately a transitional zone so if i put somebody you know i see somebody standing there 
on their right leg, that's 50% of your gait cycle. Do you mm -hmm. live there 100% of the time mm -hmm. or are you there 50% of the time? Mm -hmm. Left stance is another 50%. Mm -hmm. So you need to be able to do both. Yeah. And that's ultimately yeah. what I'm trying to achieve. And then when it comes to rib cage, I'm looking at IR mm -hmm. and horizontal Up the shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm seeing, okay, can this person breathe into their chest walls? Can they do it properly? Mm -hmm. And then do they have rotation? Can their sternum actually rotate to the right and rotate back to the left? Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about um, spinal rotation. I'm talking about like ribcage. Mm -hmm. Can you actually, when you're walking, can you rotate? Do you have right trunk rotation? Yeah. Do you have left trunk rotation? And then for the neck, we're looking at side bend, whatever, lateral flexion. And then rotation, yeah. because if your neck is stuck over on your right side, you're mm -hmm. most likely not going to be able to side bend to the right and mm -hmm. rotate to the left. Yeah. So those are, I think of it in like three portions. Yeah. And then you get somebody neutral all three. That's just like your starting point. Yeah. That's not even, it's treatment, sure. Mm -hmm. But it's not getting somebody stronger in that 50% of their gait cycle that they're mm -hmm. missing. So ultimately, it always has to go back to how well are they, first of all, symptom reduction. And then how well are they functioning? Can they walk properly? Can they actually, do they have, are they getting that trunk rotation both sides? Mm -hmm. Are they properly standing and keeping their usually left pelvis into a position where it's back instead of externally rotated mm -hmm. and forward? Mm -hmm. um, and then neck, is the neck going back and forth side to side? Are they able to, then you get teeth and eyes into the, <laughs> the conversation. As soon as you get to neck, then it goes higher because yeah. There's a lot of reasons as to why a neck won't be able to go in the frontal plane, yeah. nice side to side, and yeah. lateralize. Ultimately, it's always back to lateralization. Yeah. So right side, left side. In order to get to both sides, you have to be able to lateralize. Yeah. You want, like, if you break the gait cycle down the most simple way, you want kind of swing and stance. Yeah. And there are certain characteristics of stance, which is like, okay, I'm adducted. I'm, my center of mass is on top of mm -hmm. this stance leg. So when you say... Um, okay, you have a right side and a left side. Are you living on your right side in the gait cycle? I think people don't understand necessarily what we mean by something like that, which is, of course, you're going to, if you have two legs, of course, you're going to put your left leg down. Yes. But if you actually take a step back and look at the body, it still looks like it's organized over the right leg. So it still looks, the spine is laterally flexed or side bent to the right. Um, the left leg is not you're not, or the left hip isn't actually adducted. You're not actually over on top of that side. And so many other things, the pelvis might not be rotated to that side. So many things. So um, that's that. I think when Ron went through that um, adduction drop test, which I don't use anymore, I, I look at hip internal and external rotation. Oh, and, I look at that too. But I think I see if hip internal rotation, if they have hip internal rotation, I think they can adduct. If they don't, I don't think they can adduct. Because adduction and internal rotation are going to come together. True. Yeah. So what will you see on a, which side will you usually not see adduction on? Left. And which side will have less internal rotation? Left. Yeah. So yes. that's, uh, that's what Unless it is. Unless they're patho. Yeah. Okay. That's where, that's the only, your. I like, think you can see that in lots of other ways though as well. The patho? Yeah. yeah. Oh, 100%. You can and, see and it. And I just ways. don't, the adduction drop test. I think a lot of this stuff for me. When I started looking at people online, I st I dropped well, so many of my tests and then I was like... You can't really do the adduction drop test online. That's what I mean. You can't. If so I had person, to drop it. Yeah. I don't usually do it online, honestly. Yeah. I can look at a person's gait and at this point, you know, you get enough knowledge, you could be like, oh, I think whether or not they're a PEC or a left mm -hmm. AIC, which are just the terms for... Patterns, yeah. Yeah. 
PEC would be pelvises forward and externally rotated on both sides. Mm-hmm. Left AIC would just be the left side only. Mm-hmm. Just for people that don't know what PRI is, we're mm-hmm. just we're not just throwing yeah. things out there to confuse you. But um, I think it, virtually it's very very hard. Yeah, and you can go off symptoms, you can go off history. Yeah, but it's not it's just not as clean as your standing assessments are, are great so your oh, squat yeah. your toe touch all that stuff awesome excellent um what were you gonna say i wanted to touch on what you just said about gait though because it was really the way you explained that was really great how you said your body is organizing when you're standing on one side just because you're standing on your left leg does not mean you're in left stance and mm-hmm. that is something that uh, patients and clients whoever you're working with will say oh well i stand fine on my left leg just because you can stand with your left leg on the ground and right leg off the ground does not mean you're in a proper left stance position. It does not mean your body's organizing well off that left side. And I know you've posted, like, you'll post pictures of runners. Mm-hmm. And you'll show when somebody's in a better position and when somebody's not. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big um, concept that uh, clinicians maybe at first don't really see. Because it takes time to understand that. Just mm-hmm. because you have a leg on the ground does not mean your neck is centering over that leg properly. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately the goal. It's not to uh, attain neutrality, sure. That's the starting point. But then it's how well can you get from side to side. And it always, the gait is one of the best assessment tools you have. Especially, it takes time though to learn to look at a gait. It takes a long long time to develop that eye, to understand what you're looking at. Yeah, you need to look at a lot of people. And you need to understand what your tests are telling you about the yes. gait cycle. Um, and I think, like, you know the way you're saying there, like, uh, someone looks like they're in a better position. I think to, to, to clarify that a little bit, when I talk about that stuff, I don't talk about pain mm-hmm. because they're so, like, separate from each other. Or maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but it's, it's impossible to measure. And the pain science has showed, like, about... Like it, it might ha- not have any anything to do with it, yeah. but when you look at the movement world and you say, take for instance, some of the best sprint coaches in the world, they will always talk about posture. They will always talk about position. They will always talk about kind of some level of symmetry, mm-hmm. arm swing, stance swing. They will talk about pelvis position, all of this stuff. So I do think this stuff really applies to function. And I do, I do like others, I get frustrated when people just have a biomechanical lens of, uh, of pain, let's say. And I think sometimes that gets tossed around a little bit, but I think we can still talk about posture and symmetry yeah. and position and stuff like that but maybe take the pain stuff out of that a little bit and say okay maybe it's a bit more of an uh n equals one case when it comes to pain let's see what helps the person in front of you rather than just labeling everyone in that way yeah i mean ultimately i have people coming in and i don't know what they're going to present as pain wise Mm -hmm. i have no idea what the person's about to tell me but it's not that i don't care about their pain i do i care that you have back pain i care that your neck hurts but I'm looking at you as a whole. I'm looking at what your feet are doing on the ground, regardless of where your issue is. Mm-hmm. If you come in with neck pain, I'm still looking at your feet. It, and that's something that takes you know, time to understand why. And um, it, exactly, the, you can have pain in all different parts. It's not really about the pain. That's just where your weakest kind of link is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's an important thing yeah. to know. You could have herniated discs and have no pain. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and posture too. I want to touch on what you're talking about with posture. It's a dirty word now, but I think we still, I mean, 
let's say regular people, people that aren't clinicians and uh, people that are learning this stuff still think like stick your sternum up in the air when you're squatting. Mm -hmm. And to me, why? Why are we doing that? And uh, when you understand the biomechanics of how the rib cage should really be oriented and what position we should be in, we you can help, even if you're a trainer, you can help your clients in the gym just by knowing simple cues about lifting weights that relate to asymmetries and just overall extension position, mm -hmm. or I should say extension posture, and how that can help them in their lives behaviorally. So you, however you're training somebody in the gym, you're going to either exacerbate their pattern or you're going to somehow make it a little better. I was an Olympic weightlifter for four years competitively. I exasper exacerbated my pattern big time. Mm -hmm. So powerlifters too. But that doesn't mean that you have to stop your sport. You just need a little bit more of what you're kind of lacking. Mm -hmm. so. Or maybe they don't. Maybe they are fine with that. Yeah, you that's know what I mean? true too. It's, but, but like, I think... I, think, I don't even know if the clients need to know that necessarily, but their coach maybe could have an idea that the more I push them in this direction, yeah. the more like certain adaptations are going to happen. Just like if you train a certain muscle, certain, certain adaptations yeah. are going to happen. So I think this is where I think like there's never, getting dumber is never the answer. Like having more knowledge doesn't mean that you're just going to stop your clients from powerlifting or Olympic lifting or right. whatever. It just means you have more knowledge and you have you have more you, you have more information to make a better decision with and you can do with whatever you want with that information but there seems to like on instagram there seems to be this push for like everyone just get dumber don't yeah. get more knowledge because some people <laughs> apply the knowledge poorly yeah don't don't worry about what people who apply the knowledge poorly do get more knowledge and apply it well that's yeah. that's like i think that's my one of my big things that it does it does frustrate me when it the people t people shit on biomechanics and all this stuff. It's like, no, you should know about this stuff. You should understand how to assess your client or look at your client. It doesn't mean that you don't train them anymore. Especially if you work with people. Mm -hmm. Like if you're working with people, you can be very powerful in their lives. You can influence them in a positive or a negative way. It's your choice. And I mean, like I said, I was an Olympic weightlifter. Just because I don't do that anymore and that's not what I like to do doesn't mean that I... I I'm going to push that on a client. Yeah. I just saw a powerlifter last week. He's competing in a meet. You know, I was asking him all about it. I'm not going to tell him not to compete. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to tell him how he can get his body to feel better. Do I think that if he lowered his powerlifting, he would also feel better? Sure. But I'm going to give him his tools necessary to mm -hmm. feel good. And I definitely agree with you with Instagram is definitely a beast because it can be great for business. It can be wonderful. You can learn so much. I've met so many people through Instagram. But... You do have to be careful, and I think there are people that can easily fall into the wrong direction, especially regular people just looking to learn that don't have a background. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things out there, you know, people that have 300, 400,000 followers that are posting information that I'm like, this is so beyond incorrect. Mm -hmm. And you just, at where I'm at, I just ignore it. And yeah. it's tough, though, because definitely people are paying for sessions with this person, and I'm like, you know sit up nice and tall and that's not going to help that person mm -hmm. so it's hard pri is uh, let's say newer because it's only maybe i mean he's been doing it for a long time but i think it's really gotten out there in the last 10 maybe 15 years yeah. um i heard about it probably six seven years ago and it took me time to actually study it yeah. and you know i took a course and then i sat on it for a year yeah i was like i can't take this right now i know so it's tough it's complex yeah you know but 
I think Instagram can be very positive or very negative in yeah. our worlds. Yeah, I think think the one of the big things that I probably took from the first course that I took, which was Myokin, mm. which was where you learn like that adduction drop test, yeah. which is what everyone is doing anyway, which I think they call it an over overstress yeah. or something, right? Yeah. Um, but that changed how I viewed assessments because... I was like, oh, this assessment isn't a, isn't just measuring the hip. Mm-hmm. This is saying, can they get on top of their stance leg? Can they adduct? If yep. you can, if you like abduction is pushing away from a leg. Mm-hmm. So if can, someone cannot adduct on the table, then how are they getting on? They're going to find a way, obviously, of getting their center mass on the leg, but in a in um I don't want to say a funny way, but like faulty. In, in, faulty. Yeah, in some kind of a way that's not adduction right. at least. So. Like that, that changed how I viewed assessments forever. That one yeah. assessment, even though I don't use it anymore. Which is interesting. I mean, you're not, you see a lot of people virtual, so I understand why mm-hmm. you're not using it. But I don't use it in person either. Oh, really? No. That's what I was saying that when I stopped using it virtually and then I, I think my eyes got, I'm very confident with my testing now. Mm, I'm very, very confident with my testing now. I think my eyes got very good to say actually can this person adopt yeah. like and i don't need that test to, to use it most of the time now maybe i maybe sometimes it slips through the cracks but i think i'll still catch it yeah. sooner or later well you know if somebody is i'm small i'm 411 mm-hmm. i'm not doing that test on somebody who is yeah. a big big guy yeah. it's i can't so there and there are certain times where when your eye develops i i can tell if somebody's going to come in sometimes i you know it took me a while i guessed a lot i was always like I've been down in Fort Worth for a while. So if I was mentoring under Casey Ratliff, who's a faculty member, and I we always would guess, she'd pretty much always be right. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, I think this person's a PEC. And mm-hmm. then she'd be like, why? And then, you know, I'd give my, and she would do the test and whether or not I'd be right or wrong and help me understand. Yeah, yeah. I did that a lot with PRI. Yeah. If you guess before the test actually occurs mm-hmm. or if you're trying to guess different things. I think for me, it helped me mm-hmm. learn, but you definitely can tell a lot with somebody's gait. Mm-hmm. It's what's funny about the Ober's test or mm-hmm. the adduction drop test is I actually learned it in maybe 2015 or maybe even earlier um, in graduate school. And we learn it as a tight IT band, which is how they still teach it in PT schools Same, yeah. and probably occupational therapy, wherever they're teaching it. And you know, we learn how to do the test, but you're not actually learning anything about the mechanics of what that is doing. You're just saying, oh, the IT band's tight. You need yeah. to roll out. But that's the same with every test you learn. Yes. And there's, that's... There's no, like... Yes. You have a body attached to that hip or that knee. Or you have a neck attached. Yeah, exactly. Like, so it's just, you know, maybe PRI is on this new forefront of knowledge and they're really pushing the the newer research out there because they can, because they're a private organization. Mm-hmm. But schools are much more behind. So you as a new clinician coming out there, it's hard to let go of what you've learned in school and find the newer stuff that's actually going to benefit the person in front of you. But you do have to remember that what you learned in school is probably 30 years old. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's a, that's kind of a tough pill to swallow when you get out of school or it's um it's a learning curve. Like I did so many things right when I got out of school just to learn more. Cause I felt like what I had learned in graduate school was just not cutting it for people. And then eventually it took me like two years after school, I started to study PRI, which mm-hmm. is early for yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I think, look, most people, I don't know the percentages, but like pain wise, most people, a large, a large majority of people, I think, get better. Yeah. And w- would get better with time anyway. And like 
just if anyone is promoting some even even sometimes i see um i had a guy on my podcast dr peter maliaris he's in a he's a tendon researcher oh, very cool. very smart guy really 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 good guy but even he was saying they're doing some research at the moment i think it was with the achilles with regards to like is is exercise the thing that we should be using even though it's mm. helping would it be better to do um i can't remember it could have been like shockwave or some sure. manual therapy or something like that and i just i just found it interesting his point of view how he was talk he, he was thinking about this when in my mind i'm like i i don't really care if shockwave is going to be yeah better for it i want to promote movement because yes. like in a year's time, I want them to be stronger and I want them to feel, I, I want them to, all the benefits that come along with that, their heart, their lungs, yeah. their mental health. So from the research point of view, I just found that very interesting when he said that. I didn't mention that on the podcast at the time. Yeah. And for me, my first question would be like, well, what side are we talking about? Because mm-hmm. I don't, I, to me, if it's a right Achilles, it's going to be different than a left Achilles. I'm going to think about it in my brain differently. How would you think about it? So if, let's say it's left. And I have a client actually towards left Achilles and you're pushing off always on that left leg to be able to get to your right leg. We see that more often. We're easily able to get our right heel. We're easily able to ground better into that right side because we're always on that right side. So we get a lot of push off. Like you'll look at people's shoes and the front tread of the left Mm -hmm. shoe is more. So they're later in the gait cycle on the left side. They're They're pushing towards the forefoot much sooner. Even if the heel strike, they're still kind of racing towards their toes on the left exactly, side. Exactly, exactly. You worded that so well. And um, so to me, that left Achilles is always pushing, pushing, pushing. Whereas the right one, and it depends, maybe you have uh, somebody that really grounds into that right side. They can't get off of it. They're never getting to the left side. So their left side's always assisting the gait cycle to get to right stance. So right versus left, it's different. Mm-hmm. Also, left-sided injuries, I think of uh, differently in general. I'm thinking more um, compensatory versus just a positional issue right-sided stuff is more like we need to just get you out of being in your right side Mm -hmm. left side is like okay well you got to your left side somehow Mm -hmm. and we don't know how it's kind of faulty so Mm -hmm. that that is interesting though Mm -hmm. tendon stuff to me also is like oh well if it's tendon it's related to a tendon it's gone a little bit far if they're having some problems there Mm -hmm. so yeah I, i think i think about it differently in terms of uh getting off the right side and getting onto the left side I like, maybe not, but mm-hmm. I like to, I just, th- I just think people can't get onto either side very well. Sometimes. Yeah. I was like that. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. A lot of times you're going to see people that like your PECs where they're forward in both pelvises or cranium people, mm-hmm. like people that have stuff going on up here, mm-hmm. um, they're going to have a hard time. They'll like waddle side to side Yeah. and they're not really ever. They don't shift. At all. Yeah. They're just figuring out a way to just kind yeah. of duck walk yeah. side to side gymnasts are a great example powerlifters, mm-hmm. weightlifters um whereas you have a baseball player who's not really going to be like that they're going to be more your typical left aic pattern because their sport is more asymmetrical mm-hmm. but you pri might say that that a right foot usually doesn't usually struggles not um with pronation right yeah like right arch yeah, so the right arch, the right medial arch coming mm-hmm. down toward, towards the floor. Why then? Because I would see pronation as stance. Technically, it's mid stance. Mid stance, right? So where in where if someone is m- much more supinated on the right side, 
where are they? Are they they're not in mid stance on the right side? They're earlier. Yeah. Yeah. They're you would be technically in like more late stance on your left and early stance early on, on your right. right. Yeah. But you have to think of it too as like the whole body lateralization is mm-hmm. to the right. So, so it's, it's over like the they're outside falling the right side, right side. out. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. falling out. So they're all the way to the right. That's why they're supinated on that mm-hmm. right side. And they can't go back mm-hmm. to the left. That's why I say I think same thing. I need to tr- I, I I usually like to teach people to get onto the right side and the left side. You, you got to you have to train the right side too. Because I think they can't get into mid stance on the right side. Either. I agree. 100%. Mm-hmm. That's why the there's like d- certain right glute exercises to help you learn how to push off of your right leg, mm-hmm. use your right arch, use your big toe, push off, get to the left side. Mm-hmm. So you have to treat both sides. Mm-hmm. That's a very important muscle too. Here I Right too. Yeah. Yeah. For that reason. But that's still a pushing off muscle, not yes. loading in. True. Well, both. Yeah. Depend it depends, depends. On you, depends how you do it. Um depends on the technique you're using, etc. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so when when you think about the feet, the Achilles stuff is actually interesting. When you think about feet and Achilles, like what and especially on the sensory side of things, because you mentioned feet, uh if you're treating a neck client you'll look at feet as well. So what way do you think about feet then? So let's go back to the Achilles because I I like that example. So let's say they're having left-sided versus right-sided versus both. What if they're having pain on both sides? Then I know they're probably very extended. Their rib cage is elevated on maybe both sides, maybe more on left because I see that a lot because of the right diaphragm pulling you over to the left. And I know, not even thinking about neck, I just know pelvis might be forward on both sides. I know if I treat above the feet, the feet are going to fall into the correct position. If we get ribs back, you know, pelvis able to come under, uh, femurs able to adduct and abduct properly, then feet are eventually going to go along with the pattern that I'm putting the person in. Mm-hmm. But also shoes are a really big thing with PRI. And I think it's a, we did a podcast. I have my podcast, right? And I did it with Lori who uh, makes the shoe list. Mm-hmm. And I had her talk a little bit about it. But if somebody came to me with, any pain ultimately, but Achilles, I would be very strong with the shoe list. I'd be like, you got to get a new pair of shoes. They come to me usually in like a Nike. I'm like, Nikes are terrible. I straight up tell them, I'm like, we got to get you in a better pair of shoes because shoes, especially if you're walking in a city, flat ground, flat apartment, not in a, uh, an uneven surface. If you're walking outside in the grass, cool. In the sand, cool. I love it. Do that. But most of the day, we're not cavemen. We're not walking on flat, on uneven surfaces most of the day. So if their foot can pronate and supinate better in a shoe, then I know that the next session they come in for me, they're probably going to have some symptom reduction. Mm-hmm. At least that's the goal. So I'm looking more above the chain because usually those people that are coming to me with like an Achilles pain, they've seen other people for it. Yeah. They've done treatments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're kind of ticking off like, okay, you can do 10 calf raises here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like... They can do that. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's sure. Do whatever you want. Yeah. Why, um, why would a shoe help some, someone's foot? Why would a different shoe yeah. help someone pronate and supinate better? Yeah. So let's talk about the PRI shoe list and why uh, they make it the way they do versus like a Nike. So video is good for this because you could like show it, but I'm going to explain it as best I can verbally. So when you're looking at a Nike and you kind of squeeze the back end of a Nike, which is called the heel counter, this, that part will just come together very easily. Mm-hmm. And you can probably fold that whole part down. Or just if, smush it together. Yeah. yeah. 
Or even like the barefoot shoes, yeah. a really great example. I have a couple pairs at home from a few years ago when yeah. I was wearing them Me and too. I had chronic heel pain. Cool. <laughs> so they just, those shoes kind of roll in and I understand the purpose of them. They're to make you feel barefoot. However, we do not walk on uh, uneven surfaces anymore. We walk on only flat surfaces. <laughs> so our foot, when we're walking on a flat surface, it's not about forcing an arch or getting it to forcefully pronate. It's about just giving it the sense. It's a sensation to your brain to say, okay, there's something underneath my arch. So I'm going to be able, I'm going to feel that. And my brain will feel comfortable and safe pronating into it. So that's, well, I kind of talked about the heel counter, but then I went into the arch, but I'll go back to the heel counter. Now the heel counter, you have a talus, right? I'm sure you've talked about it or talus. However, people like to call it. I would say talus. Talus. Yeah. yeah, Well, Well, I could, uh, one episode or one thing, like one video could say Talus next. I could say Talus. I'm <laughs> all think, over the place. With my well, I think I call it Talus, but I don't know. So the Talus has no uh, muscular attachments to it. It is sitting right on top of the, um, I just kind of punched, punched the, mic. the mic by accident. <laughs> so if you heard that, sorry. It's sitting right on top of your calcaneus. And so what the heel counter does is kind of give the calcaneus a bit of a hug. So it can move and it can assist the talus talus bone Mm -hmm. to be in a better position for you to be able to pronate and supinate so the midfoot can work better when you have a hug around the uh, the calcaneus so that's ultimately the reason there's like a few reasons those are the main two reasons that we like shoes now lori thompson from she's a faculty member from pri every i think six months she makes a new shoe list Mm -hmm. and they just have the better shoes that she feels that are like sneakers, which whatever, some people call them tennis shoes. Mm-hmm. I'm from the East Coast. I call them sneakers. We call them runners. Okay, runners. Even if you're not running in them. Yeah, I'm, I'm not running in them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but those, um, the sneakers, those are just the ones that she looks at. But I've actually asked her questions about like more dress shoes for girls, what she thinks. Because they give you on the website, they actually, the second page is, how to test your shoes. So mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be on the shoe list, but there are certain requirements that are will make a better shoe. Yeah. So versus like a Converse, which is like super, super flat. Yeah. No arch, no heel counter. I think I think when most people think of shoes or they've been told to get a better shoe or a different shoe, it's about blocking movement. Yes. So you go into a lot of running stores or whatever and they'll They'll build an orthotic or they'll put you in a different shoe to block pronation. Right. Usually. Yeah. I've seen clients with like the arches so high you could drive a bus Mm -hmm. under them and they've still been told you need to block pronation because they put them on some walking treadmill and they see a little bit of pronation and they say pronation is bad. (sighs) Let's block it. So um, but I think then but PRI's view maybe is if I can have a shoe or something touching the arch and hugging the heel bone, it's actually like a. It's a, it's like a torch shining a light on this area, so the brain can sense it, and yeah. when the brain can sense something, it can move into that area. Just like an injury to a knee joint or anything, any any old injury, you would typically see like proprioception around that area is really really poor. It's like poor. It's like the brain has like closed it off and said, okay. Well, sometimes it's closed it off. Sometimes it becomes hypersensitive yeah. to it. But it's like, okay, we're just not going to go there anymore. Right. And that's where the awareness and stuff, the sensory stuff can come in. And you just see like people's eyes getting opened and they actually have access to all this information flooding in, especially when it comes to the feet, because there's so much information coming in through there. So much. There's it, your feet are 
extremely important. They're one, they're your ground sense. It's very, very important how you can connect to feeling grounded. And people think, oh, if I'm putting a bulky shoe on, I'm not going to feel grounded. It's not about stripping. The more you're stripping off your feet to feel the ground, mm-hmm. the less you can actually sense the ground. But I love barefoot outside walking. I think that's great. Mm-hmm. I think we need that. I think we need different things to allow our feet to move into different positions. But we have to understand that we are not walking on uneven surfaces the majority of the time. You've been in Manhattan all week. You see it's it, there's cobblestone, but it's ultimately flat, yeah. concrete, you know. Um, and I think a big thing that's tough with this to fully grasp is that it's neurology. It's an, it's your brain sense. It's not about forcing the foot into any position. I I take those hard orthotics out faster than anything. Mm-hmm. Like those are those can really wreck a PRI program mm-hmm. because, or in general, a program just to fe- get somebody to feel better. If they're in a hard orthotic that's stopping pronation, they're never going to get to the other side mm-hmm. of their body. They're never going to be able to um, find that mid stance and push off properly mm-hmm. because they have a foot that's stuck in supination, which is fine. It's a part of the gait cycle, but you have to be able to do all movements of your gait cycle. Yeah. And, you know, barefoot shoes are the, a big thing which I, I get the purpose, but I think it, you're, we have to like try and push out that there's other reasons as to why we would use a shoe. Yeah. It's not about necessarily being barefoot, although being barefoot is great. It's, yeah, it's just information. Yeah. Yes, and it's, it's understanding. Your brain needs to understand it. Yeah. You can't tell your brain, oh, I'm going to pronate here unless you're working actively on something. Yeah. When you're walking, you're not going to. No, and you it. don't want to. I've, no. Like the amount of times I've had to tell people <laughs> to stop trying to get something to happen while they walk yeah no it's just it becomes neurotic i've been down that road myself it's not a good road to go down no you want it to happen naturally yeah. you're not thinking about it that's like anything with movement i mean i don't need you to force yourself to have an arm swing yeah you should naturally have an arm swing because the arm swing is going to tell me how well you're going to the other side to the mm-hmm. left and if you don't have that arm swing your right arm is stuck to your side i know you're not getting off your right leg mm-hmm. so whether it's stemming from the foot or the cranium I think also an interesting part, too, is let's say I'm working with somebody, they get new shoes, they don't feel any different. One, there could be that they are what we call more incorporeal, which is they talk about in the I&I course, which is like they don't sense their body well. Some people just don't sense their body well. I'm not exactly sure why. They just don't have that connection. I notice certain professions, and they talk about it, too, like lawyers or accountants, people that work with more like, uh, numbers or more abstract things. Um, they might not sense their body as well as somebody like me or you who work with people. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously we do because we're in the movement profession, but those people might not feel a difference when they get a new pair of shoes. And then people that are locked up in the cranium, like when I, I personally got shoes, I was like, Oh, these are cool. I feel better, but it wasn't like, yeah. and then some people are like, wow, these are amazing. I'm never getting out of them. I love them so much. And yeah. Those people, you know, wow, these shoes are really impacting them. Yeah. So that's hard for people virtually. If you're working with somebody virtually, you get them in a good pair of shoes and they're like, eh, don't really feel a difference. Yeah. So that's tough. So. Yeah. I'll usually re-educate the feet. No, eh, I'll usually get the feet moving. Yeah. Um, in a slightly different way. I think PRI are more about like, there's a lot of isometrics there. There's a lot of kind of pushing into mm-hmm. the arch and stuff like that. I like to tr- teach people how to transition from early to middle and back again yeah. over and over and over again. And they get that sense of the heel actually pressurizing then the midfoot pressurizing on the floor. One thing I will say, you don't need to comment on this if you don't want to, because this <laughs> is a little bit of a, a knock maybe um, on not necessarily PRI because sure. 
um, there's a any any system or whatever, right? There's yeah. going to be like practitioners and stuff like that. And what one practitioner does doesn't ne- shouldn't necessarily be a knock on like everything. But yeah. and this is a really good practitioner, really good guy. I won't mention his name, but he I had a client recently who was with this guy for eight sessions. He flew to him. Wow. And he had a toe problem. Okay. The only time he took off his shoes to look at his feet were to put on another pair of shoes that were on the shoe, the PRI shoe list. You gotta do, you gotta actually look at what's going on. Like I would feel the heels. I would see what's going on. He took off his shoes to put on his other shoes and he got him to buy three of these pairs of shoes so that he could have a, a, like when I'm going for a walk or a run pair, uh, indoor pair and then something else. Maybe he was like telling him to sleep in them or something. I did, uh, this guy was like struggling. He was at a thousand steps a day It with sesamoid pain all of the time. I did one session. We did a pronation drill where I actually just transitioned him. He was on his right side, so uh, he couldn't pronate, but yeah. he couldn't pronate well. But the way I look at it is on the right side, they still need to learn heel pressure. Yeah. Because... To get your midfoot, to get your midfoot to, oh, I think of pronation. I think Ron might think of pronation as the medial arch coming toward, to, closer to the floor. I think of pronation as the joints on the plantar surface of the foot opening. Yes, flattening out. And you cannot get the joints on the plantar surface of the foot to open if you press your medial arch down. Because you need pressure on the lateral arch as well to actually get all of the joints to open. Yeah. So you need, heel, you need good heel pressure on the, on the right side. And you need to teach the calcaneus on the right side and the left side to posterior tilt or plantar flex down. Or sorry, not posterior tilt, to anterior tilt, plantar flex down. Yeah. So the treatment that this guy got was new shoes, press your arch into the shoe. The treatment that I gave him was, here's how you actually plantar flex your calcaneus and get your midfoot yeah. pressure. And yeah, he did that okay. drill and he, had te- he was able to do 10,000 steps every day going forward. Yeah, and sometimes you need to break it down for people, mm-hmm. for sure. Sometimes, and, you know, very specific, like just a toe, one toe issue. Like I would, first off, you definitely have to look at the foot. Yeah. <laughs> and like see what's going on. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that he feels better. Yeah, I know. I know. It's just, I just. <laughs> that just goes to show that, you know, there's lots of modalities can, can always help yeah most people are going to feel better just with certain different things yeah. it just depends on the person too exactly it depends on the clinician too like can you connect with that client like not every client is for yeah. that person hey guys just a very quick break from the show to remind you to sign up for dgr interactive our member site it's where we have 600 coaches and therapists and i'm teaching teaching them every single week about biomechanics rehab movement strength training plyometrics gait cycle all of this stuff and i deliver short sharp no fluff videos every week maybe 10 or 15 minutes long and coaches and therapists in there absolutely love it it helps inform their practice helps them make sense of what they're seeing with their clients and ultimately helps them get better results so if you want to get better results too you want to learn about biomechanics djr interactive is the place to be so make sure you sign up there and now back to the world's best podcast djr podcast I like the Occam's razor thing, which is even though like we know the body is so connected and all of this stuff and there's no isolation necessarily. Yeah. You have to look at the area where they have pain still, even though, you know, like even though I'm not going to just someone has a knee joint issue or whatever, a foot issue. Like the first place I'm going to go is to that area to have a look, even though I know I might need to do something with their neck here. Yeah. You still have to be like. 
Okay, I'm going to have a look because actually maybe a, maybe the simplest solution is actually relevant yeah, here. That's true too. You, know? you definitely have to look at what they're coming in for. Mm-hmm. I always do like, so I of course ask them, I'm deep in history. I ask a lot of questions about history. My form online, I like ask tons of questions. Um, and, you know, I, that leads me into what I'm going to do with the person. Um, and I just... It was interesting. I just watched Ron all week last week. He came down to Texas and talked to a few of us, saw some patients. And the way he treats is like fascinating. And it really helped me understand that it's so much about like your aura too. And like how you are presenting yourself to that person and what you're seeing. But history is big, big, big. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, you definitely need to look at what the problem is. But you can, like the complicated cases, you're going to be surprised because a lot of times it might be like vision or something like that, which takes a very long time to be able to understand. I mean, I'm just starting, like my tippy toes are in there right now in the cranium stuff. Like I am fascinated by it and I really enjoy it. And I've talked to dentists about it, et cetera, eye doctors, but tippy toes just started to understand that because Mm -hmm. it's so in depth. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, you still have to look at the area. That's what mm-hmm. they're coming to you for. Yeah. So, and that's what they're paying for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what? Um, so, someone comes into you, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say me. Okay. And regardless of what the issue is, but like, what leads you down the path of thinking, okay, there's, I need to look at like teeth yeah. or get someone else involved. Like, how does, how can you even explain that to, not necessarily your client, because that would be different. How can you explain that to like the people that are listening? Sure. Why teeth are important? Why the eyes are important? Yeah. What like how when you're saying about the lateralization, how come the neck is so important? Yeah. Because for me, very briefly, like when I see someone with regardless of the issue is and they and they also tell me they have like their neck is really tight. That's like a big ding, ding, ding in my mind that I need to clean up this neck. Yeah. And it's the one, usually the one thing, aside from the eyes and stuff, right? But it's usually the one part of the body where I will find it will get in the way of pretty much everything Uh else if the neck is like just tight all of the time. Stubborn, right? Yeah, try and clean that. I almost always try and clean that up. Even if it's like, like, okay, someone has a foot issue. Okay, here's two or three foot exercises. Plus do this exercise for me. Yeah. Just because you have a tight neck. I won't even mention that it's related or whatever. It might be related. It's just like, I just want to clean this up. It'd be great if your neck wasn't as tight. Yeah. And like, I'm just kind of trying to sneak it in some yeah. of the time. Yeah. So. Well, it's good. It's good to be looking at it. That's yeah. how you learn and that's how you grow. I want to um, like attribute this answer to Casey, mm-hmm. um, who's in Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. And I've been down there for the last year and a half. And What's the name of the clinic? Prism. Prism. Cool. Which is funny because it's like. Yeah. Well. SM. Is it? Well, no, it's, I, sh- I think it's like, I don't exactly know. It's like. Postural. I don't know. How do you spell it? P R I S M. Yeah. Yeah. But what's funny is that when you can work with people with, there's different glasses called prisms and they kind of can change your proprioception, can change your spatial awareness. So I just, I love the name. I think it's cool. But Mm -hmm. I've been down there working with her, learning from her. And I wouldn't be able to answer a lot of these questions if she didn't mentor me. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing because I, a few years ago, did not know any of this stuff, but I have really been able to mentor learn from her and yeah. what she's been doing down there which yeah. has been a game changer for yeah. me and i'm i'm great i'm so grateful yeah for that's why i like having these conversations and and i'm like i don't know a whole lot about this definitely yeah. i know and very 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 little apart from 
mostly my experience with experiences with this stuff, which has been like concussions and eye issues and yeah. cranium stuff and all that. So like whether it applies to a lot of my clients or not, I don't know. Well, it, it applies to every every yeah. single person in the world, like how you view the world and all that stuff. Yeah, we but all got eyes and teeth. Hopefully. Yeah. So it applies like it obviously applies, but. I just find I just want to learn like yeah. about this stuff, you know, and it's great because we can spread it on here, which yeah. is a great it's a great platform to do so. But yeah, so you're kind of asking, like, how does that feed yeah, into like how, how, how would you start to think for firstly, yeah. like the teeth, because I know I've done course and stuff where Ron has talked about the, the teeth and the, the feet, the heels, the eyes, like how all that stuff is so related. Yeah. Obviously, obviously, it's related, but why it's why it's so important and like what makes you think. Okay, this client, maybe I need to yeah. dig a little bit deeper here. So if somebody comes into me and all this, a lot of this I've learned from her, I don't really mention it on the first session or really the second session. It's not, I'm, I might be thinking about it, just dependent on the person. So like, for example, I had a guy the other day, very big overbite. So it's in my mind mm-hmm. because I see that it's not what we like in a bite. I want you to be, let's talk about teeth first. I want you to be able to sense your brain to sense your canines because your canines allow your cranium to move in the frontal plane, which we need our neck to be able to do that. So canines allow your neck to stay free. And actually Ron just did a webinar uh, like a few days ago and he talked big time about the canines. And I thought that it was very useful information because that is very important. So a lot of people are missing one canine depending on the person. They, it's not that they're, they might not actually touch, but they also don't sense it in their brain. It's kind of like the feet. You have to sense these things with your brain. Mm-hmm. So canines allow your neck to be able to do that, which helps your body transition, lateralize, side to side. Molar sensation allows for you to ground back into your heels versus being up on your toes and lifted up and extended. So being able to sense that in your bite can make a really big difference mm-hmm. you know, in somebody's pain. So if, can someone, so people listening now, could they... Can you walk them through like biting down and seeing what yeah, they can so feel? Yeah, so we just, what I do when somebody comes into me, I just say, can I see your normal bite? I have them smile mm-hmm. and I just look, do yeah. I see canines touching? Sometimes I have them pull their cheek back and I see there's different classes of bites. You know, dentists obviously know way more about this than I do. Mm-hmm. But in the occlusion course, they really teach you what class one, class two, class three kind of look like. And also from my own experience, I know because I know what my bite looks like because I'm pretty asymmetrical. I should post it again on my page because um, a lot of people are. You might see a class one on one side, class two on the other side. So what? how the teeth are lining up. Are they lining up directly on top of each other? Are they fitting nicely in the grooves? You, The ultimate ideal situation is to have class one on both sides. But that is not always what we see. So I look at it. And then if I am working with somebody, I look at I look at it all on the first session. You know, that's why my first session is like about an hour, 20, 30 minutes, mm-hmm. because I, it's just very hard to get it all in. So I want to look at everything the first session. I take notes. I give them techniques, sometimes addressing cranium, not, oh, mm-hmm. not usually. Do you ask them to bite down and ask them what they feel? I do ask them what they're, what they're feeling. So yeah. I say like, what do you sense? Which is a very hard question. Yeah. If you've never yeah, tried it before. About it, especially with teeth mm-hmm. and feet as well, actually. For sure. The issue I find with that is. Not with the teeth. I don't ask that question. Uh, the odd time I will. Yeah. But with feet, I don't trust them. Yeah. Because I've seen people say, I can sense this very, very well. 
or like I'm really heavy in exposition. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, you're fucking not. <laughs> you are in my head. I'm like that. Like yeah. I've 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 had people in front of me and they're like, yeah, I can feel all my weight in my first metatarsal. And on you're looking at X it. Foot. And I'm like, it's lifted off the ground. I can put I can pick it off the ground. I can put my finger under there. So um, maybe that's those people that you're talking about that just don't sense their body very well. Yeah, you have to go with what you're seeing, but also what they feel. Yeah, you have to. It's information that they're like telling you something yeah. and actually is like. That's not the fucking case at all. Yeah. And then, you know, with teeth, sometimes you could do a technique that gets the body in a better position and the sense will change. Yeah. So that's an interesting thing, too. So if I do a cranium technique, I ask them, do you feel different in your bite? And they'll bite. They'll be like, oh, maybe. Yeah. So depending on the person. Yeah. Um, so that I do look at it on the first session. Yeah. Most of the time, unless. Uh, no, I, I always look at it. And now. what what, um, you know, with like um, the asymmetry favoring the right side, what would people typically say that they sense then you'll see a lot of times that asymmetrical person will feel their left canine and right molars or they'll just feel their right molars yeah just depends yeah and Uh, that is that similar to the pelvis rotating to the right then kind of yeah that's technically right stance that's um, right stance as well in your bite yeah i just like bit down like i did my bite to know because i mine is like that so um but yeah so what we will do let's say they come in for a second session and they're not neutral at the neck they're neutral at the pelvis their rib cage is okay mm-hmm. i'll give them i'll update their techniques maybe i didn't treat them for their cranium yet then i'll treat them for their cranium mm-hmm. and then they come in for a third what does that look like treat them for their cranium so you use a, cranium yeah cake. sure sure i use the pri techniques that they have a few it, it will depend on the person of course yeah so if the person has had head injuries i might go into a different way of treating them i'll treat them for torsion patterning versus what we call right tmcc um that's that's where it gets more specific so underlying i I love to kind of explain it like this there is skin and then there there are people with skin and tattoos so skin we all got so most of us are all patterned some more than others Mm -hmm. but then some people have tattoos those people that have had two head injuries have had maybe two rounds of braces Mm -hmm. um those people might have some tattoos. So you have to... I have some tattoos. So do I. I've had seven concussions. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So that'll get you. Yeah, it will get you. Trust me. That's, That's why, sure. like, when people when people on, again, like, on Instagram and stuff say that this stuff is bullshit. Yeah. I'm like, you, ha- you haven't felt it. You, if you felt this in your body, yes. you would not say that. That's a big thing, too, because the people that are saying that have never been treated properly. Yeah. Because maybe they have had a few concussions, but yeah. they've only done the pelvis stuff. That It's not going to help you. Yeah, it, it, won't, it, it will won't. not help And you. I know from experience as well, because yeah. I also had about two, maybe three head injuries. Yeah. So I get, I totally get it, which uh, actually as a clinician, it's helped me it, a little bit of a struggle, but it's definitely helped me understand what the person's coming in and, you know, they can't get better. They can't get better, but nobody's looked at their yeah. cranium, yeah. whether it's whatever, right hip pain. Um. So then by, let's say, the third session, uh, then now I've started to develop a team here in um, New York with a dentist, uh, Dr. Peltz. And there's another, there's some other clinicians here. And I do have an eye doctor that I've sent people to yet. I haven't really worked. I've worked with her with about five people at this point, sending people to her. But I have not gone to her office with a client yet. Mm -hmm. I'm not really there yet with my vision knowledge. Mm -hmm. So I'm not really comfortable. I'm just letting her. She's great. And uh, Rua works with her as well. He's another um, clinician here in New York. So I trust her. And she's done some really good stuff with the patients I've sent her. And then the dentist I'm working now with, I'm going to be working with about two to three cases 
but I've done some work with dentists in Fort Worth and I've watched so many different um, treatments with Casey's and her working with dentists there. But then by the, let's say third or fourth session, if they are still coming in not neutral and they are not able to hold whatever techniques I'm giving them, then if I think the driver is dental, which you'll kind of know at that point, although it is hard to know sometimes if they have vision and dental stuff um, going on, it's kind of mm-hmm. like, well, it's a, for me at this point, I'm still assuming like, okay, this is what I think is going to work best. I'm not always a hundred percent, but yeah. I, I've, I'm learning, you know, yeah. um, then I'll have them go to a dentist. They'll do a mold for them or whatever they do a scan. Usually that we like the molds better. I learned last week with Ron, <laughs> the scan's not as great, but they'll make them a mandibular appliance that they sleep in. So that means it clips into the bottom teeth. I have one myself, Dr. Lecca in Fort Worth made it for me. Yeah. Um, or he's in Dallas, and you clip it in, and what it does is allows the jaw to move freely side to side. Because if your teeth are keeping you locked up, the neck is not gonna stay free. So for some people, if that is their issue, then that can make all the difference for them. It just depends on if that's their issue. Do you only wear it when you're sleeping? Only when I'm sleeping. You can wear it when you're doing PRI techniques, but I just don't, or when you go on a walk. At this point, I just wear it when I sleep. And I- I, But your clients, you usually only sit you would say when you're asleep or when you're doing your techniques anything upright where you're moving through space upright walking you can wear it then mm-hmm. yeah but you don't want to wear it 24 7 yeah so um and when you take it off then is your body like it senses so yeah. you're keeping the sense it's yeah. kind of like a shoe like you're giving your bo- your brain the sense of it being able to feel and move the jaw side to side in the frontal plane yeah better so that when you're doing your day without it, then you can still sense it. So for example, for me, I used to only feel my left canine and right molars. I could never feel anything else. Mm. Now I feel both my canines and my right molars. I don't think I'll ever feel my left molars. But that's exactly what I feel right now. Yeah. Right now. You can I've, probably see that, but yeah, that's that's what I feel. Yeah, and a lot of people, it's really, it's pretty common. Mm-hmm. Um, but my jaw shifts around a lot. Yeah. Tons. And probably because you've also like been, you play, we're experimenters, we're mm-hmm. scientists with our body. We're going to, try different things mm-hmm. um and it can change with different techniques too mm-hmm. so that's like the interesting thing so that's kind of like how it would work if i was treating somebody and i suspected dental um but i've been in new york for a few months now and or like a month actually not a few months but i'll be here for another maybe about month and a half so i have a couple more cases that i'm going to work with dr pelts with mm-hmm. just experience wise so yeah. it takes time to be able to get there and yeah, to yeah. find a dentist that is open and interested she's really interested so uh it will be it will be great she's met ron she's done a case with ron so i'm i'm excited for it cool. yeah it's really really great because the city there's a lot of opportunities here yeah but um yeah when it comes to vision i'm there it's much much more difficult i think mm-hmm. although neurooptometrists, because of their learning they already know that the eyes are part of the brain yeah whereas dentists some of them are kind of like, well, why does this matter? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The eyes like are the brain, yeah. whereas the teeth are like, they think the teeth are the teeth. That's right. And or not they, but some of a them. A lot of yeah, them. Yeah. They're concerned about airway. Yeah. So yeah. airway is like a big buzzword right now, which yeah. is great yeah. because I think they're starting to realize that it can affect posture, yeah. forward head or whatever. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of their neck posture. best practices have changed quite a bit because a lot of people, big time, their airways got fucked up. Oh, yeah. Big time. I mean, mm-hmm. from when me and you were kids, like mm-hmm. dental stuff is completely different it's yeah. like way it's a it's a 
different ball game. Yeah. Um, back then they were just like, here, throw braces on. Yeah. <laughs> we don't looks really know what go- we're looks doing. Looks good. Yeah. Same as, same as the orthotic. Yeah. Lo- looks good. Your feet are nice and Stuck whatever. Stuck in this position. Exactly. No movement. So, yeah, I think there's definitely a push with dentists learning a lot, but I think it is hard to, we're changing the, the way people are looking at this with PRI, at least like mm-hmm. I, we talked, me and Dr. Peltz talked and I told her like, we're going to do this person upright for whenever I see this client with her and she's, she's open to it. We're going to fit the guard standing because you do not, when you're laying down in a dental chair, mm-hmm. your neck is in a different position than mm-hmm. when you are standing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so there's different intricacies of So the she'll treatment. take the mold. No, she'll I'll just she'll take the mold how she takes the mold. Yeah. Uh, I might I'm gonna put um towels underneath my client's neck to yeah. keep the thirty degree yeah. lordosis and yeah. then she'll or I think she does a scan actually. Yeah. Which I mean, I don't know enough about it, but yeah. I'm just gonna go yeah. with it. She'll do the adjustment about like ten days later, fifteen days later, et cetera. Yeah. Standing and I'm gonna come to that appointment. And yeah. that I've done before in Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. so fort worth really like casey has established a big thing down there because there's a lot of clinicians down there mm-hmm. um uh prcs and dentists like about three in the area that are open maybe four even because there's a newer one who's learning so i mean and she has eye doctors down there so it's very That's cool so what she's doing down there yeah and of course pri has prime they have a prime program mm-hmm. where you would go and you know if you're really struggling and you would get to see all their clinicians there too which is Ultimately, that's how healthcare should be. It's a, it, you're one person, head to toe. Yeah. Can't just specialize and yeah. look at the shoulder and that's it. That's it. No, because the shoulder's connected to your neck, which is connected to your sternum, which there's a lot of things involved. So mm-hmm. I think that that's where healthcare needs to go. Uh, it just might take time because now we have a lot of specialists in our world. Mm-hmm. So that, but that's kind of like how uh, my, my practice and way of looking at movement is going. Uh, but it just depends on the person, yeah. if their skin or tattoos. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. I think it's a great way. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a great way. Like I, I've, I've, I've learned a lot of this stuff just through my own body, like and yeah. felt it. So I think I, I can understand why some people like just kind of laugh at it or whatever, because maybe I would have done the same if I hadn't felt it. Yeah, you know, if I hadn't felt like my the days when my neck feels good, yeah, my body feels amazing. Days when my neck feels shit, like that day, doesn't matter what I do. Yeah, so I so I was just saying about how Ron came down to Texas last week. So we were in a pretty small room, not like I'm uh, not this small, but it was not huge. It was like a gray wall color, and we're all I was sitting sitting about how I am now on the left side of the room. If you're looking at the room, and I was turned my head looking to the left. And then at the end of the day, I felt terrible. And I was like, went on a walk and I felt so much better. Mm-hmm. Like, different human. Yeah. My neck was so tight. I don't usually get like that because I'm not usually sitting for seven hours yeah. straight. I loved it. I learned so much. I'm so glad. I'm glad I went on a walk later on in the day mm-hmm. because I was stuck in a position where I was actually in the pattern and just exacerbating my pattern. Mm-hmm. Looking to the left, head rotating to the left in a sitting on your right side bend, sitting on my right side. Yeah crunched into my right ab wall so i mean yeah i'm gonna learn better probably because i'm very comfortable Mm -hmm. that is my home yeah yeah, yeah, i'm great right there but i really felt it afterwards and then you know i know myself at this point i've been studying this for a while i did i think i just did like 
a simple uh, technique, one pelvis technique, and I went on a walk mm -hmm. and different humans. So it's cool because knowledge gives you power mm -hmm. um, to, to do these things. I think sure. I heard, um, I don't want to butcher this now, but I was on a course with Ron before and he mentioned about his, uh, his office setup and his home setup. Yeah, it's, I know what you're about to say. I think his office setup is like he sits right beside the right wall yeah. and then every like all the spaces to the left side of him. Is that right? Probably. For his left peripheral vision Probably. so that his eyes, not so his like turn his neck necessarily to the left, but so his eyes are looking to the left. Just to see something. I'll tell uh, patients like if they're having, you know, let's say they work in a cubicle. I'll tell them to put like hot pink post-its up on the left wall. Something or like a flowers. I told somebody once. she's like, I have flowers. I was yeah. like, perfect. Yeah. Put some flowers up by your left side just to change your scenery a little. So when you're looking straight at your computer, you also see that. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's a, yeah. that's like a vision thing. That's yeah. a peripheral. It's yeah. important. Yeah. yeah. Like the, the this stuff for me has helped me massively with my clients who aren't cranial clients or aren't, you know, I, I think. I just want to reiterate that or iterate it maybe in the first place to people who are listening where like it has helped me understand why some people when they walk in nature feel great mm -hmm. and when they walk in the city they don't it never helps them like going for a walk out in nature and I encourage people to do that way more it has helped me understand like where how important the shoes they are wearing yeah. or how their feet are actually move it has helped me understand that it also has helped me if I am coaching a breathing drill which side of a client I stand on. Oh, big time. Things like that. I think that. about that a lot. Yeah. That's so I don't have time. to talk about the eyes or the ears or the senses. Yeah. I just stand in, the, in a position and it does change what they feel. Yeah. And how, and how they move afterwards. Yep. Um, well, you were talking about in nature, which is really interesting. I had a case of a client. She's so sweet. She, um, she was having neck pain, but only when she ran on the treadmill. And to me... Nothing is passing your vision when you're running on the treadmill. Yeah. So we're supposed to be walking. We're like catching ourselves as we walk. You have arm swing that allows you to get from side to side. Um, your vision as you're walking forward, things are passing you. Yeah. She didn't have it when she or she was running. Right. Yeah. She was running. So I told her just run outside and she never even put two to two and two together, yeah. which is why I'm there to help put those links together. And that neck pain went away. I gave mm -hmm. her techniques and that also helped, too. Mm -hmm. But. It, it was very interesting to me because that is a visual system that is just being not working optimally because mm -hmm. you're walking like a hamster in one place. Yeah. We're not meant to do that. Optic flow. Uh, big time. So, you know, nature is really, really big. And you'll, I see a lot of clients or patients, whatever you want to call them here in the city, and they are in different positions than I usually see in Texas. And yeah. I, I always find that interesting. Or if you go to LA, you're going to see more patho. You're going to see more compensatory issues versus um, in a quieter place where there's more surroundings. You can go outside. In New York City, when you have Central Park, people aren't necessarily going there every day. Mm -hmm. They're working. They're stressed. Yeah. So it just goes to show your environment really affects you. Yeah, massively. Big time. That's why I left New York City. Mm -hmm. <laughs> One of the reasons. I wonder what... Uh... I wonder, Ron would never live here, would he? So I was talking to him about it. His daughter lives here. Oh, really? He comes here a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, he, I said to him, we were just talking because, yeah, I'm probably moving to Arizona. I told you earlier, I love the hikes out there. It's beautiful. I told you to go. And we, I was talking to Ron about it. I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing. I just know that I, I love New York, but I cannot live there. And he was like, it's a great place to travel to and visit. 
for a few days. Yeah. <laughs> and it's true. It's a very sympathetically driven city. Although we're here right now, we're in the middle of Manhattan. We don't feel it yeah, yeah. this minute. But as soon as we go outside and we get beeped at, your sympathetic nervous system goes whoop, yeah. right up. So it's a hard place to live. Yeah. But I've, it's fun. I, I, it's a great place. It's so cool. It's awesome. I've noticed it in the last couple of days. I have missed my kind of walk in nature. I'm sure. I have. I went. I actually went for a run on a treadmill in the gym. There's a, there's a gym in the hotel. Uh, I did it yesterday. Yeah. And like the, the hotel gym is tiny. It's like a yeah. little black box. And the treadmill was like jammed up against the wall. And it, but it's it was, there. It was just a weird run. It just felt weird. I like, like you now, but I don't run on treadmills anyway. So it probably feel weird to me regardless. But um, I only did like two or three K. I don't know. But it was yeah. just a weird run. It just. Did and you then it, have you slept well since you've been here? And uh, yeah, not that well, but there's a time difference as well. You see. That's true. Oh, that's yeah. true. So yeah. I was up at like five this morning, uh, which would have been 10 a.m. Irish time. So I'm like, I'm okay. getting closer to like local time. Yeah. But it's taking time. Yeah. I, I was like hitting a massive lull during the day. Yeah. Um, and stuff like that. Oh, so the, the jet lag for sure. I yeah. came uh, like a bit over a month ago and it took me almost three weeks to actually go to sleep before midnight. Mm-hmm. There's a one hour time difference from yeah. Texas to here. I wasn't jet lag. It's just that New York has so much stimulus and yeah. that I'm very affected by it. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. But. And travel messes me up. Oh, bad yeah. On a plane. When I like, I know travel messes everyone up. I think it's one of the worst things that people could do. <laughs> Flying is probably the worst thing anyone could ever do for their bodies. I think if you're flying a lot, you're mm-hmm. probably taking some time off your life. I, ge- I genuinely believe that. It's like wreaks havoc, especially when you're going across time zones and the stress of airports. And you just feel uh, unbelievably gunky when you get yeah. off an air- airplane. But for me, when I don't have space, if I'm, la- if I'm on an airplane for like eight hours, I don't have space to get up and walk around. And like my bre- I can feel my breathing changing yeah. and stuff uh, while I'm on the flight. So um that's i know how to manage these things now like i know really sure. really well how to manage these things but like that that can be rough i actually haven't done a long flight like the last long flight i did i went to israel which is 12 hours yeah but that was like two years ago yeah um but now i have been flying a lot i'm also concerned like radiation wise i don't think it's good for you <laughs> that's like my biggest thing about it. <laughs> i'm like don't <laughs> i always do the pat down i never want to go in the thing and then they're like, they always tell me, they're like, you know, you get more radiation going up on the plane. I'm like, I know, but I'm trying to limit it. But uh, I've only flown like a couple hours and you really don't feel good. But it just shows your environment really affects you. Yeah. So a lot of stuff, this is why PRI is a lot of psychology as well, because um, it's about being able to tap into somebody's like brain, midbrain, and teach them how to like get into the parasympathetic and understand their body more. Mm-hmm. and feel different things that are stressing them out and know what to do because of it. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's very, it's very interesting movement in general. Yeah. A lot of times. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I think, I think I, I like working a lot with athletic population. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of like, I push people very, very hard. Um, I do a lot of plyometrics, a lot of like strength type of work. I wouldn't say, no, I won't say a lot of strength type of work because there's people that are listening that are like, that's all they do is yeah. strength work. So not as much as them people, but like we explore a lot in our sessions. Like there's a lot of movement in the sessions and stuff, but there is a lot of strength, a lot of plyometrics, a lot of running, a lot of change of direction stuff. But I t- so I, I, but I also feel a responsibility 
and hopefully some for some people that are maybe listening or look at the stuff that I do or the stuff that I talk about, I do feel some responsibility to help get some of this message across around this stuff as well. Yeah. Um, because maybe some of like my audience will listen to me saying it versus when someone else says it. Right. And and I don't mean that as in like I'm great and they'll listen to me. I just mean everyone has an audience and they'll connect with people in certain ways. So um, I feel a little bit of a responsibility to try and because I know there is like there is a lot of people shitting on it. Um, So I'll try and like just not push back on that. I don't find any any I don't find that helpful at all. But I'll just try and like bring some good information to the fore and then the people who are interested and want to learn about it can um can listen and go further and stuff like that yeah spread the positive for sure i think that that's really important right now too because i do think there are a lot of people that are definitely shitting on it Mm -hmm. and i think that those people many times don't fully understand it and so it's easier to shit on it yeah or they're frustrated so they've done whatever they feel like doing and they want to try to you know outwin somebody um the other thing too is um just with pri in general like we were talking about like misconceptions you were just mentioning strength coaches i think a lot of strength coaches just don't think it works but it was not meant for strength training Mm -hmm. i am a strength coach i had an olympic weightlifting background i do not really do that anymore Um, but i still train people i have clients that i work with and train and I use all of this, these principles of PRI to train them. And my clients feel great because I'm training them very asymmetrically, very unilaterally. Um, my population is not really, I'm working with like, let's say women in their 40s and 50s. So my population isn't necessarily athletes, but can this benefit an athlete? Sure, yeah. you're, you're utilizing it and yeah. it's benefiting your athletes. And I think strength coaches, um, when they look at it, they think, oh, what is this rehab? Or this is such a, the 90-90, for example. Mm-hmm. It's such a simple thing. It's not actually simple. When you're doing it properly, it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. Many, like pelvis forward on both sides, PECs cannot do it. Yeah. Um, and I think that those strength coaches maybe can't experience it themselves, yeah. maybe because they're locked up elsewhere. They've never had a real assessment. They haven't gone to a good clinician. So instead of really diving in and learning it, because it's, it's so complicated, to learn it is hard. So instead of really learning it, they're just going to say, it doesn't work. Yeah. Instead of understanding, it's not about how high intensity the technique is. It's not, it's not an exercise. It's, it's the opposite. Technique. It's actually the opposite of yes, that. Yes, exactly. How well you can relax. And there's a lot of coaches that will, that will say, I, I actually have to like preface, I, not so much anymore. I think like I've gained a certain level of respect in the strength coach community or I've helped some strength coaches who are working at a high level with athletes mm-hmm. and I've helped like they've come to me and we've worked with their athletes together. So I've gained, I, I think maybe there's a lot of people out there who probably hate me as well, <laughs> but I've gained a certain level of respect in with some of those people that I can kind of talk about it. And they're like, yeah. not just going to be like, okay, straight away, this is bullshit. But sometimes I have to preface it and say, okay, we're going to do an exercise. I don't use like a 1990 hip lift really anymore, yeah. but like whatever, but we're going to do an exercise and like they'll say I can't feel my hamstring and even even before that I'll preface it and say don't automatically think that if you can't feel what I'm asking you to feel it's because you're too strong Mm -hmm. it's very likely that it's because you actually can't relax and get into the right position yeah so so like my preface is two things this is going to be take me a little bit of time to like coach you through and 
I'm I I don't want to get frustrated with you as we as you learn it, and I don't want you to get frustrated with me as you learn it. Okay, so just so are we happy with that? Yeah. Okay, let's go. They they try it. They can't feel their hamstring, but now they've already know. Okay, I like it's. I can't feel my hamstring. Yeah. He already said this might be the case because straight away they'll think I can actually RDL. 150 uh-huh. kilos yeah. or deadlift 150 kilos right. or do x amount on the hamstring curl and then when you actually get them into the position they it, it, their hamstring freaks out so like yeah. that's the same with even like one of my exercises foam roller bridge and stuff like that putting people into a position then they can feel it yeah i i mean i think of myself when i double i back squatted double body weight i had a, a, i was a small body weight but that was very heavy mm-hmm. and i know i could not one adduct on either side and two, if you put me into a 90-90, I would not feel it. I, on the lift test, there's no way I would get anywhere. I'd probably have like a one out of five. Neurologically, my connection to understanding that left side of my body was gone. But I was strong, sure. Strong in my pattern, really strong. I love my right side. I could do it all day. And a lot of people that can't feel things properly, it's because they've never been put in the position to do something opposite of their normal pattern. You're mm-hmm. putting somebody in a 99, it's opposite. You're putting them into spinal kind of flexion. You're getting their ribs back and down into internal rotation. You're pulling their pelvis underneath them so that their femurs can eventually adduct and abduct. This is completely different than what they yeah. know how to do. And and a lot of like lifters, strength coaches go hard. Yeah, It's not that. It's not an exercise. You're not trying to go balls to the wall on this. You're trying to do it very, very gently so that you can sense. It's not about strength training. It's about sensation to your brain, the connection to your brain. Do you feel this? Yeah. And it's slight. And those little slight movements, like you you should be dying on a PRI technique. They're so hard when done properly. Yeah. If you're path though, like I was, like I will cheat anything. I'll cheat all the techniques. But if I'm put into the right position, I will shake like a leaf. Yeah. And that's when you know you're like really impacting the nervous system. Yeah, exactly. And the people who can't feel that, it's 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 not that they're too strong. It's not that they're too good. It's usually the exact opposite. Exactly. And I think that's a big misconception because people just think, oh, it's voodoo or it's mm-hmm. not. If they're saying it's voodoo, they don't understand the science. That's number one. And if they're thinking they're too strong for it and they, you're, they're a power lifter, it's they haven't made, not They just true. haven't been coached through it. Exactly. As that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But it shouldn't, it should never have been, I just don't get the strength coaches who shit on it. Like if your client was coming to you to get stronger and to lose weight and get fitter, why did you have them lying on the floor breathing in the first place? Like, you know, the the, the critique is like uh, the meme of strength coaches who put their, their client on the floor for 30 minutes before, before doing a session. It's like, why are you doing that in the first place? Yeah, that's true. Whatever about doing like two sets of five breaths before you get started as for whatever but like who are the people that are actually doing this i don't know because even the clients i strength train they're they feel good so i'm not spending the whole session doing pri with them yeah exactly. they're doing one maybe two techniques before which takes an average of six minutes yeah like two sets of two techniques three sets maybe and then they're doing one technique at the end yeah. and we're strength training yeah so I don't know where that comes from. The memes on Instagram is definitely a topic yeah. that we yeah. could dive deep into. No, let's leave that. <laughs> <laughs> That's something I don't like to participate in. It gets me heated. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I don't know. Ultimately, you should be upright, especially if your person has no pain. If they're coming to you because they want to strength train, 
but they also have low back pain and neck pain, mm -hmm. then maybe they should be sent to somebody to deal with that first before you go and train them really hard. Or at the same time. Yeah, yeah. or at the same time. Yeah. Because you can, you yeah. can easily do both Yeah, it's not time. meant for, it's not, it's not meant for no. strength, like. This is deeper than strength training. I, I think they should understand it. I definitely do. Yeah. But like, it's not, why would you, again, this comes back to knowledge, like not getting dumber. So like, yeah. the answer isn't don't learn this stuff. The answer is learn it and know when to apply it. Yes, big. That's you really know? true. And you know, you can work on different spectrums of it. I do sometimes, I have like a few, I don't really take strength training clients anymore just because I love PRI and it's mm -hmm. challenging. So I'm more focused on that right now. But I'm, I'm mainly a clinician. I'm using my certified athletic training license to be a clinician. So it's wh whatever you want to do, you can use it to that extent. If yeah. I train people, I'm not using it as much. I use yeah. my strength training background. I use the principles and I go from there. So you can take and pick what you like for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but as a in a clinician, being a clinician at this point, it's changed the way I view everything that I, like I took FRC, I've taken tons of other things. Uh, I wouldn't even classify, like I don't even classify PRI as a system yeah. because the overall view of the body, it, the way that it's laid out is just completely different than FRC. Mm -hmm. And not to say anything bad about any other system out there. I just think PRI is something, it's an entirely a different situation. Yeah. I don't like to say that that's a system. Yeah. I don't. I would agree. I, I think I would agree with that in terms of it's different. It's definitely different. Mm -hmm. I think it's trying to, I think Ron is trying to do, and it ha, has an impossible task, which is trying to understand and explain how humans move the way they do. And, and it just comes to him. He's, he's uh, watching him treat was like yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. I hope he listens to this. Yeah. I doubt it, but. <laughs> I'm going to um, send it to him. <laughs> um, I'll have to cut out the part I said about the feet part. No, um, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just think pronation should be trained a little bit differently. That's all. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can, um, I'll chat to you on about it if you're listening. But um, no, that's brilliant. I, I, I hopefully, hopefully, I think even in a year's time, two years time, three years time, if I look at, if I kind of try and forecast where I'll be, I'll be using a lot less of PRI practical stuff. Even I use way less than I did a year ago and two years ago. But like, I want this to be on the record that it's the principles behind yeah. it are what matters. Yeah. Not, not like the techniques and stuff. And I think I've, I've found better ways for me to try and help my clients, my population. Found better ways for me to do that um, based on, for, for the most part. But the, the principles that I learned are, I think, are there and are very, very important. And I encourage yeah. people to... Uh, to check that out as well so um so yeah yeah the courses are pretty pretty intensive i mean yeah. they're definitely not for what, the what have you done um i haven't done flm yeah I've so done i want to do that one that's one so i took obviously the main three yeah i've taken like two of them twice so myokine is more pelvis I love because myokine. even even fucking names will i know it's like <laughs> yeah you're like what the hell so myokine is pelvis it's femur on pelvis femur on pelvis yeah. sorry yeah 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 because there's a pelvis one and then the pelvis course is more pelvis yeah only which to me was very complicated i i really like myokine i'm biased because i've been working under casey and she teaches myokine yeah so she's so she's exquisite with the information yeah. and so i feel like 
uh, stronger with that information than other information. Yeah. Um, and I asked her tons of questions on it all the time. <laughs> yeah. And then respiration is about the rib cage more, which yeah. is awesome. I really like that one. Me too. I took, that was my first course. I took it with Ron in 2018. Mm -hmm. He used me as a model. Oh, really? Because I was just so patterned. Because <laughs> he could pick it out. I was like 50 people. I took it in yeah. New York City. You were like gold dust coming in. He was oh, like, was... she's she's the one. She's, <laughs> yeah, she's the like, weightlifter here. He like grabbed my arm. He's like, come with me. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Like, I like that one. Like, two hours if nothing in. else, like, if you took that course, at least you now know the ribcage exists. Uh, yeah. That's a big... A big little uh, tidbit yeah. to the human body yeah. that we didn't really learn in uh, grad school that, hey, it's really mobile. Mm -hmm. You can press on a rib and it's going to go where you want it to go. Exactly, yeah. You can influence it with air flow and mechanics of, you know, compression, mm -hmm. feeling your obliques, etc. Mm -hmm. Using a balloon, a kazoo, whatever you mm -hmm. want. Um, and then after that, I took I&I, &I, which mm -hmm. is impingement, impingement and instability, which is very interesting. I'm going to take it again next year. Yeah. Um, and then I took that talks cervical. a lot about uh, he goes into the feet quite a bit. In it that does as well. yeah. feet like calcaneal instability. It talks about the scapulas. Mm -hmm. It does touch on gait a bit. It talks a lot about like rotation of femurs and then tibias. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. Yeah. Um, and Dan taught that. And I really, really like that. I yeah. like his method of teaching. And then I took uh, cervical with Skip and Ron. Yes. Yeah, that was that's when I like was like, whoa, this stuff is really cool. Although I had been learning it with Casey. Yeah. Taking the course and really seeing it. Cervical went over my head a bit. Yeah, I me to too. Say. <laughs> uh, well they probably all did like but cervical was As it should. As it should, maybe, yeah. It's not necessarily a bad thing. No. Um trying to meet people where you're where they're at, but also like I don't think it's bad to leave people a little bit confused because it's like I don't know everything here. Yeah. That's uh, the humbles point. people a little bit. But the one thing not the one thing, but I definitely took away from cervical was try and restore the natural curves. The lower dresses. Yeah. yeah. I, and I have found that when I see someone with like a military neck now, they usually feel like crap. Yeah. Like, I don't mean pain. When I say that, I don't necessarily mean pain. It just usually have a lot of tension Tight, in their body. Tension, Tight, 100%. Yeah. yeah. So I, that was that was like worth the admission price alone for me to because and I find that with most workshops or seminars that I do. I can take one thing away and like if let's say I see a thousand clients this year or a hundred clients this year and that one piece of information like helps 10 of those clients that's so worth it yeah I mean also you're taking something even if it like when I first took respiration it really went over my head mm -hmm. I was very confused and I sat on PR I didn't do anything for a year but I remember uh understanding about superior t4 mm -hmm. and that the ribs are basically flipped because your your uh, galenes and SEM are pulling them up on the right side because you're so compressed. Yeah. And I remember understanding the right diaphragm is bigger and stronger and that we are standing more on the right leg a lot. And I understood if I reach with my right arm, it's going to allow me to lateralize to the left. Yeah, using, push you over to the left. Yeah. yeah. So those tidbits, that okay. was that was enough for me to sit on for a year. Mm -hmm. And that that's it. That's okay. I took it again, home study, about a year later, I think. And or not even maybe six months later, just and I still was like, this is confusing. And I'm going to take it again, probably in November. So just because you never know, you're going to get more information mm -hmm. every time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so then, where are we? So we're at Myokine, which is kind of femur on pelvis. Yeah. Pelvis. Pelvis is just pelvis, pelvis and a lot of pelvic floor and stuff like, like that. Inlet outlet. Yeah. That was like, confusing. Yeah. Lori does a phenomenal job, but very confusing. Yeah um yeah again as it should be it's supposed to be hard this is a human body we're talking yeah. about we're not talking about like i don't know i mean everything's complicated 
I did learn a few world. things from pelvis. I can't remember exactly what because it's all like muddled now where I learned it from. But I remember being like, ah, that was like key. Key, yeah. So they I can't talk remember about PECs. So that was really useful for me as I was a PEC, which is pelvis forward on both sides yeah. and, and externally rotated and what's going on with that and how you get them out of it. That, so I like that. And they talked to, she talked about shoes too. PEC to me basically mean, or without going into the pattern, basically means like, they have movement where they shouldn't have it. Yeah, or yeah, and I was at patho too. Yeah, because a lot of times you'll see the PEC they're in a position. So what do they do? They figure out a way to. Yeah, you know. I don't label it. people. I don't use the labels yeah. anymore. Yeah, that's you okay. know why I saw it on. I was on Reddit one day and I saw <laughs> Reddit. I saw it as it's like uh, posture subreddit what or whatever. And it's just people like every people writing in i'm i'm suffering from the left day i see yeah pattern. it's like i was like you should regular human people should not be diagnosing people like no. it's, a, it's a diagnosis in there so that's where i was like okay i'm gonna stop using this stuff because because it's coming mainstream now sorry yeah. these labels because it's coming mainstream and people don't know what they're talking no, about No, i never use it with patients yeah. they don't need to know no they don't need to i know. use it on instagram because a lot of times i think uh clinicians are coming to me yeah you're talking to it. coaches there, right like, yeah but never to a patient because some people will take it too far. Yeah. It's unnecessary. They just don't need to know. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You just, they, basically what people need to know is what, like, not even, a, they don't even need a diagnosis. They need to know, here's what I think is going on. Mm-hmm. Here's what I think is going on. No, you're not. Here's definitely what's going sure. on. But, and here's like, here's what I think is going to help. Yeah. Here's what we can do for it. And yeah. let's see. Yeah. If you make a change. Yeah. And here's why I think this is important for you to get to do this, to help you get to the next step that's going to lead you back to your goal. Exactly. That's what people need to know way more than a diagnosis. I agree. Um, so those were the pelvis, yep. respiration, and then myokin. Yep. So respiration is more rib cage. Then there's cervical. So obviously neck. Cervical. Um, I took INI. We talked yeah, about that a little bit. Me and then too. I took the... He did a symposium, basal ganglia symposium, which yeah. was not this past year. It was the year before, yeah, 2021. And that was awesome. It was a lot about, talked about Parkinson's and the dopamine levels in the brain. And it was very interesting. Um, uh, I, as an athletic trainer, I didn't really study as much like geriatrics or pediatrics, which is something I really want to study more of. I'm, yeah. I'm really interested in it as I've gotten older. Yeah. And that talked a lot more about like more conditions of aging populations, I mm-hmm. think. Although it doesn't always have to be. Mm-hmm. And so that was really interesting and talking about music and rhythm and how that's really important for the levels of dopamine in your brain. Yeah. Um, so I really like that yeah, one. Yeah, that's cool. That was cool. Yeah. And then what else did I take? Uh, oh, occlusion, which I loved. Yeah. Because now we're talking about. Also, I had been learning it with Casey. So it's different to like what, my experience because I was learning it. She was teaching me, mm-hmm. even though I didn't have the didactic information yet. Once I took the didactic information, I had loads of questions and I was, you know, talking to her about it. But mm-hmm. so I took all those last year. Yeah. So I'm 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 a baby into it for yeah. sure. I just had like a different experience where I jump started myself. But mm-hmm. I know about myself and I know how I learn. And Casey gave me an experience that um yeah. allowed me to do so. It's a very unique. Yeah. Most people don't have that. Yeah. So um I'm I'm grateful. Yeah. I'm gonna take so I'm hopefully testing for my PRT this year. So PRI has different certifications. Um, that's my plan. I'm probably going to take one or two courses before I test. So the testing you apply in October and that's in January. So I want to 
mm-hmm. take one course this year at least. Mm-hmm. But because I took like five or six last year, I'm not taking, and I have three weddings this year. I'm only taking maybe one. <laughs> they're, this year. they're a course in the wedding yeah, series. Um, I considered sure. that like kind of PR, whatever, two years ago. But as I said, I've kind of, yeah, I've kind of. Yeah, you could still do it. Nah. I've, I look honestly. I've, I've moved. I've moved away, like in yeah. a, in a different direction, you know. Um, That's okay. But um, but yeah, I took um, I took the fitness and movement course. Yeah, so I was supposed to take that, yeah. and then COVID hit. Yeah, that was April twenty twenty. Yeah. I was signed up. I think that was my least favorite one. People, yeah, people just didn't love it. I just it's interesting. Maybe because I thought I felt like I had a good grasp on the fitness side of it yeah. and a decent grasp on like the primary courses and yeah. stuff like that. Not a decent as all. Well. But I feel like that course then was designed for trainers who maybe yeah. hadn't learned any of it. So um, that's what I've heard. Yeah. So that was my probably my probably least favorite one. But I can see why maybe if a trainer was interested, that might be a good place to start. To start. Actually, yeah. They don't have it right now, but yeah. I don't know what the plans are for the future. Yeah. I know they just put out a pediatric evolution course. Yeah. Coming this year. Yeah. So that sounds really that's, cool. That could be interesting. Yeah. And then one other one. What did I take? Forward look of motor movement. Yeah, you so, took that one. Gate. Yeah, I really want to take that one. There's so oh, and I also took oh my gosh, I totally forgot. I took non-manual techniques. Yeah. So basically the whole weekend they choose techniques and Ron just talks about wh- like how why. Like, why. Yeah. And that was really cool. Yeah. Because a lot of the techniques resemble each other. Yeah. So if you have one, you can kind of understand some of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Um obviously there's there's about seven hundred, I think, techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going over maybe 20, but still it gave me insight as to a little bit more of what technique to use. Yeah. Cause that's a big thing with clinicians too. They're always like, Oh, well, what do I use? A lot of the, it's not always a technique you're using. It's just like how you're doing it. And then yeah. it's also like, are you calm when you're doing, it? there's a lot of different elements yeah. to it. Of course it's a technique, but you could probably give somebody many different techniques Yeah, and it'll help them. But not as much when it comes to up here. There's just some specific ones, which to me is easier. Yeah. Like, just tell me what to do. Yeah, yeah. But, uh. I find a lot of value just coaching people how to, like, relax and breathe in in whatever position. That's my favorite, like, quote unquote technique is just, like. The alternate nostril. Mm -hmm. I've been playing with lately myself. I mean, my mom do it. Um, And a client last week. And it was really, really powerful. Mm -hmm. Can you do it? Can you tell us? Yeah. So, it. I think it's in, I actually haven't taken cranial yet, but it's, it's in that course. Mm-hmm. I didn't take cranial because I missed the time to register. And it was like that. Week. I asked Ron at the end of cervical. It was, a, it was a, um, online. Um, and he, they were saying, okay, cran- cranial is coming up next month or whatever, That's blah, blah, blah. One, and um, I said like, how, <laughs> I, uh, I wrote in the chat, like how, <laughs> how smart do you have to be to take cranial? Um <laughs> whatever something like that and he answered and he said if you struggle with cervical don't take cranial yeah. yet and i was like okay that's me out. <laughs> i think there i there cranial might be next weekend and right now if i, I don't have patients next weekend mm-hmm. if i even if i have one because you could just do it and just catch up on the hour yeah. but i might do it last minute yeah. because i've heard amazing things about cranial people say okay. it's their favorite course oh really mm-hmm. it's all about the temporal bones and yeah. how it interacts with the mandible because yeah. it's like your tmj yeah. dentists love the mandible but they don't always focus on the temporal yeah, bones so yeah. and it's like a pelvis and femur mm-hmm. that's how ron explained it over the weekend mm-hmm. but um do the alternate, oh, alternate nostril let's go so, okay, so you block. Last thing, this last thing. This is last thing. All right, we'll end with a really nice, soothing <laughs> technique that anybody, you can do anywhere. 
You could do it sitting. Mm -hmm. I'd say I would do it uh, laying on your back mm -hmm. with like your feet on like a book or even on the ground. Just you just changed your tone of voice there to be like yeah, meditation. I'm, exactly. Yeah. I'm getting you I know, into it. I know it's that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting you into it. So you're going to block off one nostril. Which one? Which let's one? Say, let's start, start with? with your left. It doesn't really matter. Okay. And you're going to breathe in through that. I hope right I don't nostril. have like a, a snot on my right one. <laughs> or, or that you can't breathe in around. <laughs> yeah. I'd probably struggle, but we'll see. So you'll breathe in. And then you're going to switch sides. And, and breathe out. And breathe out through that side. And you're going to keep your fingers on that same side and breathe in through that same side. And then you'll switch. Breathe out. Keep it on. Breathe back in. Switch. Exhale. Then inhale. And then switch. Exhale. And then inhale. And you'll notice if your nose keeps switch again. Exhale, you'll notice how well you breathe off one side. How well do you inhale? How well do you exhale? And you keep kind of going with this flow and this pattern. Is one side harder? Is one side easier? Does one side feel more blocked than the other? It's just information to learn about yourself. Mm. And and you might feel a little bit more relaxed after. Oh, that. I, I do that. too. Yeah. We just did it for two seconds. Yeah, like that's something that somebody could do at their cubicle job, easy. Mm -hmm. so. Is there one nose, one nostril that would be more blocked usually? Yeah, usually you'll see left. Mm -hmm. Sometimes more blocked, or you you'll see like deviated mm -hmm. septums. I think my sides. my I think my right side felt more blocked. Yeah, sometimes. So yeah. right side is actually your sympathetic. Mm -hmm. Left side is parasympathetic. Yeah, left felt. Good for Mine me. too, right now. Left felt really good there, actually. My right feels a little bit mm -hmm. more blocked. It's interesting. It's yeah. Really nice. And it depends on your mm -hmm. cranium, too. Yeah. If you're torsion. You know what I noticed in, in New York City? What? There's weed, smell of weed oh, everywhere. Oh my gosh. That's a new thing. Because I just felt a little bit high there and I was like, mm. I'm actually high walking around because it Well, because they legalized it, right? So I haven't been here since January. I didn't know they legalized it. Because yeah. here I was like, there's people selling weed everywhere. everywhere. I was like, yeah. So I just noticed it too, because I've I probably been in the city only four weeks now and I go in maybe once, twice a week. Mm -hmm. Can't handle any more than that. Yeah. So um, I noticed that there's trucks and then there's stores yeah. and it's like. Some of it was like Breckenridge, which is Colorado, which it's been legal there for a long time. Yeah. But I got stocks and weed companies, so good to go. You do, do you? Yeah, you should buy some. What are the stocks? I think it's called, uh, I can tell you in a second. We have to say, I listen to like business and finance <laughs> podcasts and they always, the say, they always say, this isn't financial advice, but. Okay. This so you need to say that advice, in case someone sues you. But I got. Okay, CGC is called Canopy Growth Corporation. I do not smoke weed. <laughs> it's not my it's not my thing. But, but you want everyone else to, so this keeps going up. Well, it's just gonna happen yeah. if it's already here. So, you know. Uh, sorry, what's the name it's of it? It's called Canopy Growth. How do I spell Canopy? C A N O P Y. I don't know. I don't know how it's doing. I do not know anything really about stocks. So <laughs> this is definitely not financial advice, but we'll leave you with our, our business moment of the day. <laughs> yeah, I can't find it. I'll show it to you after. I have trading 212. <laughs> but yeah, that's a big thing here. I don't know. What other stocks do you have? Oh, I have a bunch. Do you? Yeah. 
I've been I've been into it this last year. Yeah, I picked too. up a few hobbies during COVID. Yeah. One of them was I went stocks. to Wall Street yesterday. Did you? Yeah, but obviously it was a Sunday, so like it wasn't busy, but I still wanted to see it. <laughs> it's pretty cool. What else did I get? I got oh like some boring ones that somebody told me to get. And then I got let's see the, I got CRISPR. That's my my one I'm like really <laughs> into, which is not doing well at all today, so <laughs> You can't look on a day-to-day basis, though. CRISPR I found off of a documentary. I just buy, like, the mainstream like Apple. Zoom. Oh, Apple. Yeah. Tesla. Actually, I even stopped doing that. I just buy S&P 500 now. Oh, that's what I have, too. Yeah. That's, like, the best thing to do. Yeah. These are the, the things that we can learn about. This is what happens when you get older. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> but, like, yeah, I, I think I think it's important. I, I talk about business. business on the podcast you do. Ton as well. The, I, I listen to a lot of yours on business specifically because I think. Not my movement ones. I listen to your movement ones too. <laughs> I listen to one of your, I don't remember which one it is. We'll look. But your business ones are great. You're a mm. very good businessman. I, I, I don't, I don't think so. Because I listen to, bio, not that I don't think so, but people say that to me a lot because yeah. I talk about business and business is relatively successful. But I listen to business podcasts and stuff a lot. I'm just into that stuff. And like when I hear pe- business people talking about business, I'm like, I don't have a fucking clue. Well, when did we learn business? Like I didn't learn it. In I school. went to college and studied business. You did, but like you do not learn business. In I'm school. sure it's different than it's, the. It's, it's the same as what I learned in grad school. I, unless somebody comes to me with an ACL mm-hmm. tear, I'm not really using my mm-hmm. test. It's the same thing. Yeah, but that's I. I always. It's funny. I told my friend on the way here. I was like, Yeah, he's a really good businessman. Yeah. So that's how I think. I, I actually probably am relative to the industry. I think you are. Yeah. But I, I have thought this recently. I'm like, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm just, I just, I honestly, I don't want this to sound arrogant. I think I'm really good at my job. You are. That's, well, that's something too. Like, I don't like sales, so mm-hmm. I don't do it. I don't yeah. need to. My work sells itself. Yeah. And that's something big too. I think it's hard for people who don't want to get on a social media. Yeah, 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 it is. Work, but uh, I always felt like that when I used to work in like a big gym yeah. vibe. Like your work will sell itself if you're good at your job. Yeah. So that's what I count on because yeah. I am not trying to do sales when I post, yeah. etc. And that you, same with you. Yeah. I mean, I, you'll post like a Zoom video of somebody. Yeah. But it's like cool. They're shaking. Yeah. They're doing... it's, my con- it's just content that's there. But like that's why I, I I'm thinking because for a while i was like i am really good at business but then i'm like looking at other people in the industry who are making a shit ton of money and actually they provide way less value than i do they're they're really not good at their job but they make a lot of money yeah and i'm like actually they're good business people because they don't they're not i i i actually think like the the money we we make business wise is way less than the value we provide for people so i know i know yeah that's true I, I give a lot of free stuff. All yeah. my stuff is free. Yeah. I love when people like ask me questions on Instagram and they're asking me detailed questions about their history. I'm like, I give you enough free on here. I'm yeah. not going to give you free information about yourself. It is a good way to be though. Give more value. I try. It's it's yeah. it's good to sorry not not like giving free stuff necessarily, but giving people more value yeah. than you're you're charging them for because that. Well, yeah, for sure. It's it's good. I'd rather that than be the other way around. Where it's like people are paying a lot of money and then they're getting nothing from yeah. me. So, well, it's, um, a, it's a better humanity yeah, yeah. aspect to yeah. be able to give, yeah. you know, free stuff versus like, here's a list. Not of, free. Not free. But just value, valued information. Valuable stuff. Yeah. Yeah. This is true. Exactly. 
Because even um, if you give valuable information, they're not going to know how to fix it or yeah, not necessarily. You know, they need somebody yeah. else. Yeah. But um, great. Where uh, where can where can people find you? Oh, so people can find me on Instagram. My name is Alina Canner. Um, that is usually the place I'm most active on. And my website is my name as well. And you can just book sessions with me through there. I do see people virtually because I know that, you know, this information is not available to everybody in different places. So I try my best to see people mm -hmm. virtually. I'm learning Hebrew so that I can eventually do oh, really? Hebrew. Cool. Yeah. Well, that's not the only reason, but it would be really cool to help people. I mean, although it, people in Israel all know English, it's not the best language to learn, but mm -hmm. maybe I'll learn Spanish soon. Learning a language is good. It's good for your brain. Yeah. How long yeah. have you been doing uh, online clients? Um, did you do my right. webinar? No. I did your webinar. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> right at the beginning of COVID. Yeah. Yeah, I did that. Were you doing them before that? I started actually about three weeks before COVID actually hit. And mm -hmm. it just so happened that I had somebody contact me who lived in like Chicago who wanted. Before COVID. Before COVID. Oh, sweet. This yeah. Like right before. So, so you were an OG before I, COVID. COVID. Apparently. <laughs> and then COVID happened and I started doing training. Yeah. And then now this last year and a half, I've been doing more PRI. But it's not, of course, it's not the same as seeing somebody in person. Yeah. And I will always try, especially if the person's in the States, to find somebody near them. Yeah that I think is competent and knows what they're doing. Um, but th that's not always the case. And yeah. it's better to do a session virtually with somebody who, you know, has the asymmetry background versus somebody who doesn't or somebody that you've seen before, yeah. you know, the same, well, the what, same treatment. What did I say in the webinar? Perfect is the enemy of good enough. A lot of, there was yes. 300 therapists and coaches on that webinar. Yeah. And they were like, oh, it's not going to be as good as in person. I was like, that's the question is, will you be able to help this person? Yeah be better than they are right now if the answer is yes then do online right. if you want to do online do it exactly the biggest thing too is like okay it might take an extra session online mm -hmm. it might take a little more but i have helped somebody you know i've helped people in canada find dentists and i just do my best but yeah. i'm going to help them more than an average person exactly. so i'm going to find them if they need an eye doctor i will find them a neurooptometrist in their area yeah. and do my best to email the neurooptometrist the background information. Yeah. I just you gotta just do your best. Yeah. And then of course in person. So right now I'm in New York. Um, I'll be here kind of till October. So um, my plan is to be here every summer. So I, I'm in and out of New York so much. My family's here. So it's hard to live far from your family. So, um, but I'm moving to Arizona, and yeah. So that'll be starting hopefully. Cool. Seeing what's out there. So I can Excellent. expand some business out there. And that kind of gives me some access more to West Coast. So it will be nice to be able to go back and forth. So that is the ultimate plan. Cool. Yeah. I'm excited for you. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. This is wonderful. Hey guys, David here again. I hope you really enjoyed that chat with Alina and learned a few things along the way. My first in-person podcast in the books. And what, a, what better place to do it than New York City. So the DGR podcast is going places at the moment i think um just a quick reminder don't forget to join up on dgr interactive so if you're interested in learning about biomechanics movement rehab um training kind of my lens on looking at human movement then we have 600 coaches and therapists in there at the moment i'm teaching i'm teaching them every single week short sharp videos 10 to 15 minutes long breaking down different topics and um honestly it's going down an absolute treat we've gotten some 
crazy reviews from people recently just saying how how good it is how how helpful it has been for them as a coach and a therapist so if you're interested in the things that we talked about in this in this podcast a lot of the breathing stuff but but my lens on it my take on it um how i think about it theoretically and practically then dgr interactive is the place to be it is it has been coined by me and by others as the world's best biomechanics education so if you want to join us there dgr interactive type that into your phone and um and sign up there and apart from that i hope you enjoyed the episode and i'll talk to you next time